All right, good morning. Glad to be with you this Sunday. Uh, if you're honest like me, uh, you, there may be times where you do good things for other people, you serve people, and the reason you do it is because you generally want to help and you have good motives, but in the back of your mind, you're thinking about how this might benefit you or what you might get from it. So let me give you an example that I'm still working through. Uh, it happened in February, so I still even know the month. Uh, earlier this year, I went to Chick-fil-A, you know, where we, we know and love Chick-fil-A. And as I was leaving that night, I noticed that there was an iPhone in the parking lot next to my car. So I pick it up. I had a case on it, perfectly good condition, you know, it was all, all that stuff sort of good. And I was about to bring it into the Chick-fil-A, and then I realized, well, the phone has a lock on it, and if the person doesn't realize they left it at Chick-fil-A, it's probably just going to sit here and then I'll get the phone back. So I'll take it home. I can figure out who it is and I'll give them the phone. So I take it home. Nobody calls or whatever and it's locked. And I'm like, well, I could get into this, but if I get into it, I'm going to have to erase it. So then I don't know who to call. Uh, but luckily, long story short, they had filled out the medical ID. If you don't know what that is on an iPhone, you can fill out a medical ID just saying like what's your allergies and stuff and the point of contact. And you can access that without unlocking the phone in case you're in an accident, people can know who to contact. So fortunately, uh, this guy had filled out his medical ID, so I learned all about his history. And I also found, <laughs> but the good news is, I also found his wife's phone number. It turned out to be his wife. And so I called, no answer. I left a voicemail and I sent a text and just said, hey, I found the phone. Let me know. You know, we can find a time. I'll give it back to you. Well, later that night, I don't know if it was a phone call or text. I want to say it was a text. I received a text, and it says, essentially, this is so-and-so's wife, the person's phone who you found. He, he's the operator at, Ch at Chick-fil-A. Now, if you don't know what that means, that means he's the owner of this particular Chick-fil-A franchise, to which my first thought was, the good Lord has showed his grace on me. <laughs> I'm going to return this phone, and I'm going to eat. Like, that's it's Chick-fil-A, after all. Like, I'm going to, this is going to be awesome. So I was all excited. I was like, all right, God, you still do miracles. I'll see you. <laughs> and so, and so long story short, the next day we arranged that I was going to go by the Chick-fil-A um, and drop off the phone, and that's when the magic was going to happen. And so I couldn't go to about 1230 or 1, and I had to take my kids with me, Finley and Roman, who were three and, you know, almost one at the time. And so I had to sit Finley down. And I said, listen, we're going to Chick-fil-A, but we can't eat anything, okay? I'm just going to drop the phone off and leave. So like the expectations were set uh, that, you know, you know why, why are we eating? So I go in and it's busy. So I'm like, oh, that's a little bit of a bummer because if it's busy, it's a less chance I'm going to be able to talk to him and for him to give me, you know, what I deserve. And so, <laughs> and so I go in and I hand it, there was this worker next to the, you know, on the side. I said, here's so-and-so's phone. And she looks at me, she goes, oh, that's our operator. And I said, yes, it is your operator. She goes, okay, I'll give it to him. And so I'm standing there with Roman and Finley. And then she goes back to doing the cash register thing. And I stand there for about a minute, and I'm like, like, we going to do this thing or what? And then eventually I'm like, she ain't going to give him the phone right now. And so I leave all dejected, but I'm like, it's okay. They have my number. Surely they'll follow up, and I'm going to get something. Hour goes by. Two hours go by. Six months has gone by. I still never got anything from it. Never got a thank you. Never got a milkshake. Never got me some gift cards. Never got me a tray nug. Like, none of that stuff. Not that I'm bitter, but here's the thing, right? I did this good deed out of the kindness of my heart, but in the back of my mind, I was like, mm, I'm going to get something from this, and I never did. And I share that story because today we're in this series in the month of August called Things Jesus Never Said. We're looking at common phrases and statements that people say, Christians even say, that are actually found nowhere in Scripture. Today's statement is this, that God helps those who helps themselves. Now, of course, we don't see that anywhere in Scripture, so the question then, is that actually true, right? Does God actually help those who helps 
themselves. Is, is that true? If no one ever says that, what do we do with that statement? Now, as we begin, uh, this statement is a little tricky uh, because it could mean one of two things. So you could refer to it as, is it like a salvation thing? Like, as long as I'm good enough, then God will help me to get saved. Or when we say that, do we mean that in the sense of, as long as I'm a good person and God will make sure good things happen to me? So you can, you can say that phrase in one of two ways. How, however, regardless of how you say it, the heart behind it is still the same, right? It's that God is going to do for me what I deserve, going to do for me what, what I couldn't do for myself. He's going to come through as long as I play my part. Now, is, is that true? And if it's not true, what do we do with it? If you have a Bible, uh, go ahead and open up to Romans chapter 3. If you don't, you have a black one somewhere around you. If you do not own a Bible, you can take that one home, but feel free to open it up if you want to read along with us. Uh, Romans, uh, the book of Romans is written by this guy named Paul, who was the foundational leader in the early church. Just some quick context for what we're about to read. He's essentially saying this, that regardless of whether you're a Jewish person or a non-Jewish person, uh, regardless if you're a Jewish person and followed the law or a non-Jewish person who has never followed the law, it stays the same that we all need the grace and mercy of Jesus. That Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection saves us. It's not about us trying really hard. It's about us leaning into what God has done for us. And so that's the background of it. And here's what he says, starting in verse 9. He says, What then? Are we any better off? Not at all, for we have already charged that both Jews and Gentiles, so Jews and non-Jews, are all under sin. So both Jews and Gentiles all have fallen short. And he's going to quote various Old Testament passages, but here's what he says. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. All alike have become worthless. There is no one who does what is good, not even one. One, again, if we're honest, even when we do good things, oftentimes either we have ulterior motives or we are thinking, what is it in it for us, that we're not just purely good? Verse 13, their throat is an open grave. They deceive with their tongues. Viper's venom is under their lips. Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and wretchedness are in their paths, and the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now, that's pretty intense of what Paul is saying and what we are like without God moving on our behalf. But here's his point. Here's what he says, verse 19. And we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are subject to the law, so that every mouth may be shut and their whole world may become subject to God's judgment. For no one will be justified in his sight, in God's sight, by the works of the law. In other words, by doing a lot of good things, because the knowledge of sin comes through the law. In other words, the law doesn't save you, but it does show you that you do fall short of God's standard. And even in our context, if you're not a Christian, if you're not sure about this whole Jesus thing, if you are honest, you have even, I have even fallen short, even, even of our own standard of goodness, we have all done things that even we would admit are wrong. And that Paul's point is this, that apart from God moving on our behalf, we're helpless. In other words, here's what we need to know as we look into this statement this morning, that you cannot help yourself. What Paul is being making emphatically clear here is that there is nothing that you can do to make God come under your debt. There's nothing you can do to make God owe you anything that you cannot help yourself. There's no amount of trying really hard or doing all these things to make God come through on his end. You cannot do that. Now, because this series is called Things Jesus Never Said, the question then is, because Jesus, again, never says that God helps himself, what does he have to say about this statement? 
Well, in Luke chapter 18, you can flip there or you can read on the screen. He's going to share a parable. Now, a parable is a story. Uh, To be fair, it's not like someone said, hey, does God help those who help himself? And Jesus is like, well, let me tell you a story. That's not what happened. However, I do think this story or this parable still speaks to this question of whether or not God helps those who helps themselves. Here's what he says, verse 9. He, talking about Jesus, also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves. In other words, they kind of thought, as long as I do these things, I'm good, God will come through. Uh, That they were very righteous, and they looked down on everyone else. So here's the parable that he shares, verse 10. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One, a Pharisee, who was just a highly respected Jewish religious leader, kind of like if anybody, if God shows his favor on anybody, clearly it's going to be a Pharisee. So he's the top of the top, the highest of the high. He goes, and also a tax collector. Uh, one was a Pharisee, the other tax collector. Now, if you're familiar with, you know, the Bible, Christianity at all, you kind of know that, like, tax collectors are kind of seen as bad people. For the Jews, the Jewish tax collectors were people who took more than they were supposed to from their fellow Jewish brothers and sisters to get rich and also support the, the Roman government to continue suppressing them. So I'm not going to give you an example because I don't want to take away from the, what we're trying to get here, but just think in your mind of the worst of the worst, the worst people that you can think of, that you can imagine, that is how the Jews... Jews viewed tax collectors. So you had the highest of the high, and you had the skim of the earth, and they're both going to the temple to pray. Verse 11, the Pharisee was standing and praying like this about himself. God, I thank you that I am not like the other people, greedy, unrighteous, adulterers, or even like the tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything I get. In other words, God, look at all the great things that I do. Aren't you lucky to have me? Verse 13, but the tax collector, standing far off, would not even raise his eyes to heaven, but kept striking his chest and saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, here's what Jesus says about this. This one, talking about the tax collector, went down to his house justified rather than the other because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, here's the thing. You and I may not do things so overtly like this tax collector did trying to impress other people. In other words, although we probably want people to think well of us, usually we're not so like out in the open about like saying, look how great I am. However, our motivations are still often the same as the Pharisee. In other words, even though we might sometimes do good things for the sake of doing good things, we still think in the back of my mind, God's going to owe me for this or I'm going to be in God's good graces, or, you know, right, I have done good things. Clearly, I deserve something in return. And alternatively, and here's why it might become even more difficult for us, because not only, like the Pharisee, if we believe that God gives us what we deserve, we feel like God owes us, but alternatively, it is very easy for you and I to look down on other people who do not have the things we have and think, if only they were like us, if only they had done the things that I had done, then they wouldn't be in that position. So let me just give you an example and to be clear, I'm talking about myself here. I'm not talking about anybody else. I'm talking about myself. But me as a white man, grew in, grow, I grew up in Cary, North Carolina. So all of my life, I have predominantly been surrounded by white people in middle to upper middle class settings. I went to a great school. I had a great family, an intact family, great friends, great church. All of my needs that I could ever need were, were fulfilled. I never had any, any desires other than the things that I wanted, but no basic needs were ever left unchecked for me. And what can be very easy for me to have to happen is to look down at other people who are not like me, who do not look like me, and think, well, if only you had done what I've done, 
you would be in the same place of life as I would be in. In in reality, let's be honest here. My starting line as a white man in America is higher than many people's finish line will ever be. I have never walked around a store and had people walk behind me because they think I'm going to steal something because of the color of my skin. I could go to, as long as I had the grades, any school that I could ever want. I've never discriminated against because of my color. Even my parents, my parents could live wherever they wanted to live. There was no housing developments. There's no neighborhoods that were off limits to them. Everything that I've actually ever wanted to achieve, I could go for it because my starting line was higher than other people. And if I'm not careful, I can see all the things that I have been able to do and accomplish in my life and look down at other people and say, if only they were like me, they wouldn't be in that position, just like the Pharisee with the tax collector. And here's the problem. Again, here's ultimately the problem, that we, if we're not careful, become like the Pharisee, and we look down at others because we think if only they could get out of their situation or if only they were like me, they wouldn't be poor, they wouldn't be dealing with this, they wouldn't be having this issue with or in their life. And so here is why ultimately you and I need to know that we cannot help ourselves, that everything that has been given to us is a grace and a gift from God. Here's why. Because if you do not have a correct view of yourself, you will not have a correct view of God. If you do not understand that you don't get everything that you deserve, that even if, whether you're a follower of Christ or not, God has common grace has, is, in his love for us has given things that we do not deserve. And if you and I think that God owes us, that he should be in our debt, that we can make him do for things that whatever we want him to do for us, we will not understand that God does not exist for you. You and I exist for God. Now, that may sound you know, heavy, that may sound unfair, but the good news is this is actually good news for us, Because when we fall short, when we deny him, when we pursue our own selfish and prideful pursuits, even in that, God never turns his back from us. He never says, I don't want you. Even in all of that, he still loves us and gives us the grace, not because we deserve it, because he loves us. Let me give you two quick examples, one ultimate, uh, Old Testament passage, one New Testament passage. Uh, in Isaiah chapter 25, uh, uh, the prophet Isaiah is writing, and, he's, and God is basically, he's basically saying that God, even though Isaiah, or even the Israelites have time and time again fallen short, they denied God, they've gone their own way. Every single time, God never turns his back on them. Instead, he gives them grace and mercy and forgiveness and forgives them time and time again. Here's what he says, and kind of summing that up in Isaiah chapter 25, verse 4. For you, Isaiah's talking about God here, have been a stronghold for the poor person. In other words, for Israel, a stronghold for the needy in his distress, a refuge from storms and a shade from heat. Again, if you have any familiarity with the story of the Israelites, you know that they could not help themselves. Time and again, just like you and I, they were pursuing their own passions, their own desires, denying God, getting into trouble. In other words, they were honestly helpless to follow and honor God without God intervening on their behalf. They were utterly helpless. Now, I don't know if you can relate to this, but there are some things in my life that I am completely helpless over. Like There are some things, no matter how hard I try, there ain't nothing I can do to get better at it. So let me just give you two examples. For one, as Christina, my wife, likes to say, I don't have eyes. Like I cannot find anything to save my life. And if you're married, and maybe your husband is also like this as well, I can't find anything to save my life. To give you an example, uh, a couple or last month, uh, we were going to use our minivan uh, to pick up all the pallet wood to make the pallet wall that we built last month. And so I took all the chair, all the seats out of the van, and I had a tarp, and I was going to put the tarp down and to hopefully minimize all the wood and the sawdust or whatever as we were transporting it to the church. And so I go out to the garage, couldn't find the tarp. 
I go out again, go out three times. I look in the garage three times. I can't find the tarp anywhere. I'm like, well, Christine hasn't even touched the tarp. Like, why is it not in here? And so then I go up in the attic above the garage. It ain't there either. So eventually I accept my defeat and I go tell Christina, I can't find the tarp. And she says, it's in the garage, to which I say, no, it's not, because I've looked three times and ain't there. A few minutes later, she walks to the garage, opens the door, not even set foot in the garage, and says the tarp is right there. Now, in my defense, I don't know what neighbor she texted in the time that she walked to the door to put it out there, but it wasn't there when I looked, right? I cannot find anything to save my life. Another thing that I am terrible at, and if you've been here for a while, you know I like to share my fitness journey over the past year. I've been working out, exercising three times a week, almost every single week for the past year. And yet, even still, I cannot open a jar, like a pickle jar, a salsa jar. If it needs to be opened for the first time, Christina still has to open it for me. I don't know what to do about that. Like, I, I've worked, like I'm doing all the things you're supposed to do, and I still can't open the jars. And I'm not kidding. I can't do it. I'm helpless. But I need help. There's nothing I can do to get that to work unless Christina actually helps me. And that's Paul's, or that's Isaiah's point here. Is that that's what God does for us. He doesn't come through when, when we try really hard. He comes through because we actually need him. So Paul, in, in Romans chapter 5, it's a few chapters over, he says it this way in verse 6. He says, for we were still, what? What does he say? For we were still? Okay, that sounded helpless. Let's try this again. For we, while we were still? There we go. While we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly, not for the people who tried really hard or had it all together, but for the ungodly. For rarely will someone die for a just person, though for a good person, perhaps someone might even dare to die. But God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, while we were still helpless, Christ died for us. He did for us what we could not do for our own. On our own. In other words, God does not help those who help themselves. He does not help those for help, who help themselves. And if that's true, here's what we need to do. I'm going to say this, and let me explain what I mean by this. Here's what we need to do. Here's what you need to do and I need to do. You need to stop trying to get God to help you. You need to stop trying in the back of your mind, even if you do have good motives and intentions, thinking, if I do this thing, God will at least owe me, or at least he'll love me more, and so when I really need him, he'll come through, or like for me, for Chick-fil-A, right? If I do this thing, of course, I don't want to return your phone, because that's the nice, loving thing to do, but I'm also kind of expecting something in return, and if you don't have it, I still might be bitter over it six months later, right? So again, stop trying to get God to do for you what you want God to do for you, that he is not your genie, he is not your servant. Again, he does not exist for you, you and I exist for him, that you and I should stop trying to get God to do things for us. Now, 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 when I say all that, here's the good news about that, that it's not about you. Here's ultimately why you and I need to stop trying to get God to help us, because ultimately, God helps the helpless. God does not help people who help themselves. God helps those who are helpless and who simply admit their need for him. Now, this is not uh, the perfect example, but uh, one thing that I can think of to kind of show what I mean by this is that Finley, uh, she's four and a half now, our daughter, a little over a year ago, she was a little under three or about to turn three, and she was trying to, she finally learned like, you know, when you put your shoes on to leave, that she would always want to put them on by herself. But she didn't quite have like the phone motor skills and like, get her heel in there without the shoe getting caught, all those sort of things. But she always wanted to do it by herself. She wanted to put on the shoes by herself. And so eventually it got to the point where I would tell her 10 minutes before we had to leave that we had to leave so that she would put her shoes on. Because what would always happen 10 minutes later? Eventually she would say what? Daddy, 
can you help me? Right, Daddy, can you help me? And of course, what happens at that time? I decided to, well, I always wanted to, but she finally realized she couldn't do it, and I helped her. And it's the same thing for God when it comes to God, our relationship with God, that God does not wait till we have it all together. God does not wait till we do really good things to pay us back, that God helps the helpless. He does not help those who help themselves. And this is ultimately why this is good news for us. Here's why this is good news for us. If you're still in Romans, I want to read the last part of uh, the, the passage that we're reading, starting in verse 21, chapter 3 again. Again, remember, Paul had just said that you're worthless and that you're helpless. Like, if we're being honest before God, we cannot make God love us. We cannot make God do anything. That sounds pretty weighty. That sounds pretty discouraging, right? But here's the good news, verse 21. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed, attested by the law and the prophets. In other words, all of these things up until now are pointing for our need to our need for a Savior, Jesus, who has come. Verse 22. The righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe, since there is no distinction. In other words, it's not about you trying really hard. It's trusting and believing what Christ has done for you, and it's open to anyone who believes. Why? Verse 23. Because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've all sinned. We've all gone our own way. We've all chosen our own pride and selfishness time and time and time again. That's the bad news, but the good news is this, that they, in other words, those who have faith in Christ, are justified freely by his grace, by, the, uh, by his grace, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. God presented him, presented Jesus as an atoning sacrifice in his blood, received through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his restraint, God passed over the sins previously committed. God presented him, presented Jesus uh, at the present time. Uh, so, or, yeah, sorry. God presented him to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so that we, uh, he who would be righteous and declare righteous, the one who has faith in Jesus. In other words, here's the gospel. The gospel is good news because there is bad news. And the bad news is all of us have fallen short. All of us have turned away. And in spite of all of that, what did God do? He didn't turn his back on us. He didn't say, I'm going to give up on you. He didn't say, too bad. What did he do? Instead, he sends Jesus to do for us what we could not do for ourselves so that anyone who trusts and follows and admits their need for him can receive the grace and mercy of God in your life. As we say often here around here at New City Church, that the gospel is that because of Jesus, you have nothing to prove and you have no one to impress. You've got nothing to prove, and that includes God, and you have no one to impress because you can't impress him anyway, but you get the righteousness of God. That is the gospel. And here's, here's ultimately why I think it is so uh, damaging and difficult if we believe the lie that God helps those who help himself. Here's the, here's the problem with that statement, if it's actually true, that what do you do when God doesn't come through? Right? What do you do when you try really hard, when you do all of the good things, and you expect God to hold up his end of the bargain and he doesn't do it. What do you do? You know what you do? You distance yourself from God. So let me just give you an example. Let's say you try really hard at school, and you study really hard, and you don't go out and party and do all these things, and you do all the extracurricular activities so that the college of your dream college will accept you. You do everything you're supposed to do, and you don't get in. What do you do? Well, what do you do if you're a college student right now and you're studying and you're doing all these extra things and you're trying really hard and you have a dream job that you have in your mind set into to get and to apply to and start right, after, right out of the gate and you don't get that job? What do you do? 
You tried really hard. You did everything you were supposed to do, but you didn't get that job. You didn't do what God was supposed to do for you. Let's say, maybe you're not perfect, but to the best of your ability, you've tried to honor God's design for sex and sexuality and the covenant of marriage, and so you tried your best, and yet you are 30, and you're still single. What do you do? What do you do if you try, again, you're not perfect, but you try to be generous with your finances, you give to the church, you help others out when they have needs, and now all of a sudden you have an overwhelming medical debt that you can't afford to pay? What do you do? Right, you did all the right things, and yet God does not have seemed to come through. Or this, just this week, I was talking to one of my good friends who's a missionary overseas, uh, him and his wife, again, overseas, different country, have given up all the comforts and the relationships in the United States uh, for food, for family, for friends, all so that some people who may not have otherwise had a chance to hear the gospel, they give their lives to, these, to this thing. We talked to them this week. They've been trying to have a kid for over a year, and the doctors are saying they're not sure they'll ever be able to conceive. What do you do? Because if we're being honest, right, on the, on, the, on the chart of, like, who's the most super Christian missionaries in another world, we think that's the top of the top. If anyone deserves kids, and that's a noble thing to deserve, it's them. They might not be able to have kids. What do you do? Right, if God helps those who, helps, who help themselves, what do we do when God does not do for us what we think we deserved? Right, what do you do? Uh, earlier this week, uh, for, when we began our, our staff meeting, we were, we were just going around and we were uh, sharing things that God had been teaching us, things that we had been learning lately. And Brittany, who many of you know, I was on staff here at New City, uh, she was sharing, long story short, that this past year has been particularly difficult for Brian and Brittany. A lot of things didn't go their way. Things that, a lot of good desires that they have have not ended up working out. And she's obviously upset by this. And then she, but she mentions, you know, she was reading in Habakkuk recently, which is an Old Testament prophet. And basically, uh, Habakkuk is in that same situation where he's crying out to God. He's pleading with God. He's upset with God for not doing good and righteous and just things that God should want to do, right? And so I want to, last thing I'm going to read, I just want to read this first five verses of, of chapter 1 of Habakkuk, the, the context of this doesn't really matter other than you just need to know he was a prophet in Israel and he was really upset. And here's what it says. So the pronouncement of the prophet Habakkuk saw, how long, Lord, must I call for help and you do not listen or cry out to you about violence and you do not save? God, where are you? Look no further than two weeks ago in El Paso, Texas, and Dayton, Ohio with those mass shootings. We're like, God, what are you doing? This is happening time and time again. God, where are you? Verse, two, or verse 3, why do you force me to look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Oppression and violence are right in front of me. Strife is ongoing and conflict escalates. God, what are you doing? Verse 4, this is why the law, again, your law that you created is ineffective. Injustice never emerges, for the wicked restrict the righteous, therefore justice comes out perverted. God, what are you doing? Now, what's fascinating to me is, is God is going to respond to Isaiah or to Habakkuk here, and I just want to read the first verse, right? Here's what he says, his first thing in response to Habakkuk. He says, look at the nations and observe. Be utterly astounded, for I am doing something in your days that you will not believe about when you hear about it. What is he saying? You have no idea. You have no idea what I might be doing, even through these injustices, even through these hard times. And what's interesting is right after he says that, he's going to go and go and listen, basically say, listen, 
things for Israel are actually going to get a lot worse. But you have no idea. One day, and I, I believe this without a shadow of a doubt, that one day in God's kingdom, we will be able to look back over the course of our lives and see all the times we had questions and doubts. Not to say that this makes it okay or that it wasn't hard or painful, but all the times that God was exceedingly gracious and all the things that God was doing that we had no idea, even in the midst of pain, even in the midst of difficulty. And so if that's you this morning, right? Let's like say you're going through something really difficult. You're like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I don't know where you are. Let me just say this to encourage us. I don't think that there is any time in the, in the history of the entire creation where this was questioned more than sending Jesus on the cross. Right? Jesus comes. He's supposed to change the world, be the Savior. He's supposed to you know, uh, give freedom to the Jewish people and change the world. All, you know, the people have been looking forward to the Messiah for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. He's finally here. He's doing miracles. He's, all these, he's this amazing man, wisdom, loving. And then he gets killed. And I guarantee you there ain't one single person up there be like, oh, I know what God's up to. Okay, I can't wait for the resurrection part, right? They had no idea. Even though he had tried to explain it to them, in that moment they are thinking, this does not make sense. And what does God do? He uses the most horrific and unjustified thing in human history, right? A perfect God coming himself and being crucified on a cross to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. That he used the darkest moment in the history of humanity to give us the grace and salvation and mercy we could never earn on our own. And so I just want to say this to you, that if you are here today and you're in that spot and things are hard and you don't understand, here's what I encourage you to do. I would encourage you to lean into God. Because here's the good news, and here's the point of what we're talking about this morning. And that's this, that God helps those who cannot help themselves. God helps those who cannot help themselves. If you are in a difficult spot, you just need to know that God loves you, God cares, and he's the only one that can do for you what you want to have done anyway. And the problem when we believe that God helps those who help themselves is this, that that is not the gospel. The gospel is not you do good things and God, and his, if you're good enough and his mercy, like, oh, okay, Fred, he's a good guy. I think I'll, I'll love him. Stacy, she has some work to do. That's not the gospel. Listen, that is every other religion in the world except Christianity. Every other religion or spirituality is, at the end of the day is summed up by you do certain good things. And if you're lucky, karma or the supreme being or God or Allah or whatever it is will shine down upon you. They will come through on their end, but only if you come through on your end, and that is not the gospel. Listen to me this morning. The gospel is not, I love you for what you do. The gospel is, I love you for who you are. And who are you? Regardless of whether you believe in Jesus or not, you are a son or daughter of the king of the universe. And his invitation is to come and follow me, to come and receive the grace and mercy that you could never earn on your Again, the gospel is that God helps those who cannot help themselves. That is why he has come, and that is why we rejoice. And so listen this morning, I don't know what you may be going through. I don't know what my difficulties you may be facing. And I have, I, there's nothing I can say to make it better. There's nothing I can say to change it. I do not believe it's true. As some people say, that every time you're facing a difficulty, it's because you have a breakthrough coming on the other end. I don't think that's true. I don't think you can see that in Scripture. Sometimes that may be the case, but not always. There's nothing that anybody can say to change the situation that you are in. But you just need to know that in spite of all of that, God loves you. God cares, and you have no idea what God might be doing in your day if you lean in and trust in him. Remember, God helps those who cannot help themselves. In other words, the good news of the gospel is that God gladly decides to help you and to help me. Let's pray.